Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Well, hello and good afternoon and welcome to Market View. Today we have Mr. Manpreet Gill, head of FICC Strategy at Standard Chartered Wealth Management, joining us on the line to provide us with his insight. Hello, Manpreet. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Okay. Um, lots of things happened overnight and not exactly great stuff. Uh, the major indexes on Wall Street are sharply lower. Um, we believe that it highlights worries about the U.S. economy. And after the heavy losses on Wall Street overnight, we also saw shares in APAC slipping this morning, uh, the Hang Seng down as much as 3% in early trade. Please help us unpack it all. Moving forward, right, maybe even in the immediate term or the short term, this bearish market, what is it going to be like for, for Asia and Singapore? Well, as you're right, it, it was a turbulent day indeed. But I, I think it comes back to two sort of uh, underlying sort of questions that I think facing all investors at the moment, whether in Asia or elsewhere. I think one is, of course, we, we've spent much of 2022 trying to understand, you know, just how much the Fed wants to reprice market expectations of how where they'll take their policy rate. Um, and I think it almost for a moment felt like we were, you know, being, getting through that process. But the, the second factor, which is the obvious sort of follow on from that, is just how much of an impact or a drag could it have on economic growth? And that's important because while that might be a very US centric question, uh, at the end of the day, financial markets in Asia are, are still, you know, correlated to a large degree. Uh, you know, US interest rates do impact global liquidity to, to some extent. And from an economic perspective, I mean, you know, it's still a, a big export market. So I think there's going to be a lot of focus on, on what the growth picture looks like. I mean, our view, of course, is that, uh, you know, the US will avoid the recession. That's a view for the moment. Um, but obviously, the market's having a bit of a scare at the moment. And I think the key here will be as long as we see US inflation begin to peak in the second half of the year, that might lead to a slightly brighter uh, outlook for my markets globally, including here in Asia. Mm. Well, the Fed's pronouncement yesterday, um, you know, kind of took the guesswork out of how much the US might actually uh, tweak their interest rates, right? I believe they, they said something like as much as it, it takes. As much as it takes. And, and But I think what, what's really key for us, at least, is to sort of say what uh, you know what, what they might actually do versus what are markets pricing in, and if we look to the to the end of the year, markets are looking for about you know two and a half to two point seven five percent you know Fed rate, uh, and as long as the Fed just delivers on that on that expectation, mm. uh, then actually markets should be all right. Um, I think what's okay. been a real source of pain is you know markets just trying to price in that future outlook. At the start of the year, markets were just expecting point seven five percent, and we clearly had an additional two percent getting built in. So that's really been a focus that the hikes mm-hmm. relative to what's Price then will be mm, key. Mm. Well, um, SIA recently announced, you know, some of its uh, earnings. It's uh, still in the red for FY twenty twenty one, right? But I think it, it narrowed its loss to uh, nine hundred sixty two million Sing dollars. Um, and you know, we just saw on Straits Times yesterday the headline about Changi Airport Group going on a hiring spree. At the same time, um, I believe I think an analyst I spoke to last week said that as long as China is you know undergoing this COVID these COVID restrictions, you know the the improvement or the the recovery of Singapore's aviation sector could be limited. Do you agree? How how much do you agree with that? Well, I'd agree in the sense that look, of course, China is a big big market from from a variety of perspectives, including aviation, and and I suppose until it fully reopens, it would impose some sort of cap on how far volumes. Uh, air traffic volumes can sort of recover to pre-COVID levels. But look, I'd argue there's quite a bit of room, you know, even within that. I mean, 2022 is clearly working out to be a very different year uh, than yes. 21 in, in a good way for aviation. <laughs> yes. um, and look, I think, uh, you know, 
even anecdotal, we see that in the data, but, you know, we're only at 50%, uh, 40 to 50% of volumes. And again, anecdotally, anyone who's tried to travel knows that, you know, it's actually quite hard to get, uh, you know, plane tickets on, on mm. many major routes mm. still. Mm. So I doubt there's still room uh, to for improvement from here and, and it could still be a much better year. Um, and, and China as well, look, let's not forget that we believe they're at the most uh, acute point of their lockdowns. Um, so if anything, you know, that's uh, arguably baked into the price. And I think the question is to what extent uh, do the restrictions start to ease from here? Mm. So if anything, we'd see that as room for an upside surprise. Right. But what if there were a prolonged uh, lock? Well, not lockdown, but the, the restrictions go on for the rest of the year in China because they're still digging their heels in on the zero COVID policy. Well, I, I think it's always uh, hard to sort of uh, predict, you know, what policy choice you know, you know, policymakers in China sort of go with. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we said, I think when you talk about aviation more narrowly, I think to some extent, yes, it, it, there will be a that may impose a cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but clearly, there's a lot of the rest of the world where travel, if anything, is becoming a lot easier. So I think from mm-hmm. a volume perspective, that this, I'd argue there's still room. Right. Um, and I think from a, from a broader market and economic growth perspective as well, um, you know, the specific nature of restrictions will always be important. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'd argue that we're in such a restrictive environment in China mm-hmm. at the moment from a COVID policy perspective. Uh, you know, the room is only for improvement from where we are right now. Okay, okay. Keeping our fingers crossed for that. Okay. Now, um, some data out of Singapore, uh, key exports continuing to grow at a slower pace for the fifth straight month in April, right? And uh, non-oil domestic exports rose 6.4% year-on-year in April, following the 7.7% growth in March. What do these numbers tell us as investors, as individuals? Well, actually, the, the non-oil exports is, is actually one of my favorite economic indicators because it tells you a story not only about what's happening to economic growth in Asia, but mm-hmm. but actually it's a great barometer for the global economy. Um, and I think what it's told us so far is we obviously had that that big bounce coming out of you know the COVID lockdowns and it settled down obviously to to some of a, a more moderate pace of growth. But it does sort of point to the the different pressures, and and I think. So far, if you look backwards, mm. it's told us about you know how demand from China, for example, has been a little bit more stricter than usual. Mm-hmm, but we've seen growth mm-hmm. elsewhere. But I'd argue, looking forward, uh, you know that could very well reverse because, as we discussed, if anything, there's room for more upside surprise and improvement in China, given mm-hmm. the starting point and where they are in the cycle. Uh, but clearly, the, the concerns and questions about growth uh, at the moment are more focused on the U.S. So mm-hmm. I think it's about whether we're looking from a financial market perspective or, or from businesses or person standpoint. I, I think it's always useful to keep the two global growth engine in mind. We have the US economy, we have the Chinese economy. Mm-hmm. And the good news is they seem to be going in opposite directions. Um, mm-hmm. So there may be room to rebalance, but I think it's key to stay nimble uh, and continue to look at that data from a monthly standpoint in terms of what it's telling us for, for the outlook for each. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, now when we talk about outlook for, for Singapore, again, I have to go back to the China question. It can't be helped. It's the largest population in the world, right? So um, how, how much... Uh, how tied to the Chinese uh, you know, economy are we? Do you think China can stage the same kind of recovery achieved from the early depths of the pandemic two years ago? Because I understand that we, we are quite intricately linked Right, our economy to to China's to a certain extent. Well, uh, absolutely. I think the one good example of that is you look at you know trade uh, data where China is for Singapore and for indeed most of Asia, uh, you know one of the, one of the largest uh, trade partners and and by a by a sizable margin. So I think that linkage just because of China being both a large market and a big source of manufacturing, you know that that's mm-hmm. sort of uh, inescapable. Mm-hmm. But it is also not the only economy, and that's why mm-hmm. despite what we've seen in China, I mean you know trade data, economic growth in Singapore and elsewhere has has actually been. Open 
okay so far, if not as good as we'd all, all like it to be. But mm-hmm. I, I think the key here is from a forward-looking point of view. Uh, you know, we we do think it, it's unrealistic to expect a, a big bank stimulus. You know, the strong mm-hmm. surges in growth that we've seen in China in the past, uh, because from a policy perspective, clearly policymakers don't want that. Um, you know, that the, the hangover after those sort of measures is that it creates a, a fair amount of debt. Mm-hmm. So we think policymakers are trying to strike a balancing act here. Uh, mm-hmm. But clearly, again, it comes back to uh, even if we don't expect that sort of stimulus today, th- there is quite a bit of pressure on economic growth, uh, you know, mainly because of COVID policies. And I think if anything, you know, there's room for improvement up here. We just manage our expectations in terms of how much. Now, mm-hmm. for financial markets, we think that still is quite a bit of upside where they're looking at mm-hmm. equities or dollar bonds. Mm-hmm. I guess from an economic standpoint, I'd have a slightly more moderate expectations compared to what we've seen mm-hmm. during previous stimulus periods. Mm-hmm. Well, now we, it comes the big um, crypto car, uh, cryptocurrency question, right? What's your view on cryptocurrency? The relevance of it, um, do you see staying relevant staying interesting uh in the medium to to in a medium f- term future well i think that that's an interesting question i think it depends on your perspective i think uh you know as as sort of a, a tool that supports businesses, I'd argue, you know, the use cases, if anything, are rising, uh, mm-hmm. um, absolutely off a very small base. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there the picture is an optimistic one. But I'd also caution that that doesn't tell you anything about what's the appropriate price for any crypto asset, mm. whether it's Bitcoin or anything else. So I think those are sort of the two offsetting factors there. Mm-hmm. Um, and for financial market investors, um, you know, we've also done a, quite a bit of analysis just trying to understand the characteristics. Mm. I mean, it's a short history. Mm. Uh, but if anything, it seems to fit, you know, very much the mold of a very pro-risk asset. So um, I, I think those are the two sort of factors we're looking at. And I think that's why we are always quite cautious about the price, because I think there are many reasons to be optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do struggle to understand you know, why prices should be, well, lower or higher. I mean, mm-hmm. how to value them is still a challenge. I think the overarching factor for us is that you know regulation is going to become quite important. Uh, we mm. think that's the next big event on the horizon, right. um, and that could lead to some discomfort. But I think that will really be quite key, both to the outlook um, and you know maybe having greater use cases at some point in the future. Yeah, well, I know often times we talk about cryptocurrency as if it's a homogenous sort of you know <laughs> entity, right? When actually it's not. I mean, you have bitcoins, you have Ethereum, and you have I. Okay, sorry, these are the two main names I know. You have different different <laughs> ones, right? And 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 would you have uh, a differentiated view on the different types? of cryptocurrency out there? Well, normally, no. And we don't usually have you know, strong views in terms of you know, different cryptocurrencies. But mm. I'd agree with you in that you know, when you start digging a little bit deeper, there are quite a few key differences. Mm. And Bitcoin is usually the one you know, most financial investors tend to look at because at least you have a bit of history to work with to understand mm. the characteristics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you start thinking about use cases, um, you know, particularly the contract-based uh, cryptocurrencies tend to have greater use mm. cases, for example, as, as a mode of enabling business. So I think understanding those intricacies will be quite important. But where there's a big gap, of course, still is, you know, in terms of an appropriate valuation model, because most of the estimates out there tend to be, you know, loose guesses at best. Mm-hmm. So I think price level is something we'd still be quite cautious about. But mm. regardless of our views on all of those factors, I think the overarching factor still is, uh, you know, more regulation does look likely to be on the way. And I mm-hmm. think that will be quite important to really putting a framework around right, uh, right. You know, just how to look at cryptocurrencies yeah. and at some point hopefully value them appropriately. Yeah, I suppose I mean, part, part of what might have contributed to the caution on many people's parts, you know, especially, as, as well as your, your own, would be that, you know, if we notice that 
Bitcoin prices have halved within six months uh, and now hover at around 30,000 US dollars. Now, there's another thing I I thought was quite interesting about crypto that prices recently seem to be mirroring trends in major stock markets, right? And some people are taking this or interpreting this as a possibility that perhaps digital currencies are losing their, how would you say, um, non-mainstream or outlaw appeal and, and becoming actually more mainstream. Do you agree with that? Well, well, I, I'd agree, but I'd argue that actually they were always that way. Um, I think, you know, over the past couple of years, we've, we've sort of looked at, again, using Bitcoin as a representative example, mm-hmm. just looking at the relationships. And whichever way you slice and dice it, the correlation was always highest with, you know, the riskiest, uh, riskiest parts of the equity universe. So small cap equities or high beta, you know, technology mm-hmm. sector. Um, where we did not see relationships was, for example, with gold. Uh, you know, many cryptocurrencies were cited as, a, as an alternative safe haven, but that didn't quite show up in the data. Um, mm. Another way to look at it is, it, you know, Bitcoin has been a great sort of inverse relationship with the U.S. dollar. Mm. So whichever way you analyze it, and look, the cap rate is always the new asset class mm. of limited history, mm. but the data all seems to point to it at a high correlation with, you know, uh, riskier equities. So that held on the way up. It's clearly holding on the way down at the moment. Uh, but to us, that's still, still the most important relationship. Mm. Well, okay, Manpreet. Uh, anything else that you, you would want to caution investors about when we're looking at the different sectors and where to go because you know the market is currently so bearish a lot of people think oh, okay everything's down let me just jump right into it and just grab you know <laughs> go on a grab spree right uh, but that is not the case what would you caution um, you know retail investors well I, I'd agree that I think it's important to you know take advantage of market sell-offs I mean that's often the time to buy but that's the time no one wants to buy uh, but I would caution that yes what you buy is actually quite important and, and more so now because you know we're clearly coming out of a very sort of central bank stimulus-led world, which clearly benefits some sectors over others, mm-hmm. uh, into one where you know interest rates are likely to be a lot higher, and inflation is something we you know we will all have to deal with as investors and as individuals. Mm-hmm. And I think from a sector perspective, that obviously changes the outlook a little bit. So, mm-hmm. for example, if I look back the last few years, you know we were like a, a lot of other investors in the market, you know, overweight the technology sector. Mm-hmm. But if I look at our preferences this year, actually it's been much more tilted. All our preferences have sat in you know financials in in health care uh, in the energy sector um, and some of those of course like the energy of course benefit to, to you know what's what's sort of the theme at the moment with, with energy prices being a, a key sort of constraint mm-hmm. uh, but others like financials again tend to have a longer term benefit to the kind of environment we feel we're going into so one where interest rates are higher those are good for banking interest rate margins mm-hmm. now that's not to say that technology cannot still do well long term mm-hmm. actually over a multi-year period it's the earnings growth that that still has the biggest impact mm-hmm. but in the short term they can be quite sensitive to changes in interest rates and bond yields, which is what this year feed seems to be about. So so I think, you know, going back in and taking advantage of a sell-off, uh, especially for a long-term investor, which is the approach we recommend, mm-hmm. uh, you know, absolutely a good thing to do. But I think it pays to have a more open mind uh, on where to sort of start adding that exposure from a sector perspective. Excellent. Thank you so much, Manpri. Very educational. Appreciate your insights. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's Manpri Gill, Head of FICC Strategy at Standard Chartered Wealth Management on Market View. Please stay with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.